Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Aaron and I are going to be talking about the top enduro bikes of 2017. This is a topic that we talked about a little over a year ago, actually 15 months ago. Uh, we talked about some of the top enduro bikes, and since that time, we've put together another list based on Single Tracks readers' feedback. So we thought we would recap that list for you here. So, Aaron, what is an enduro bike? Does that term even mean anything? Not really. I think it means whatever anybody wants it to mean, honestly. But basically, it's just a, a long travel trail bike. So, yeah, these bikes have been around for a long time since before the popularization of the term enduro. I mean, enduro is essentially a, a racing format, though, um, where you have multiple stages and uh, just the downhill portions of those stages are timed and they count towards your total time. And then the transfers in between those stages are not timed. So depending on what kind of, what you know, what race you're doing, there may be a time limit, like you only have an hour or whatever to get between the stages, but generally that's at the higher levels of the of the sport so not something your local enduro would necessarily have yeah so for those who don't know too aaron is a real stickler for the term enduro <laughs> he doesn't even care for it when uh when using it to talk about bikes uh, because he's right it was a race format that's where the word comes from and so to purists the only true use of the word is when referring to races. However, uh, the term has been co-opted to bikes now, so a lot of companies refer to certain bikes in their lineup as enduro bikes, uh, meaning that these bikes are optimized to go really fast downhill, but at the same time, they're not too bad at climbing. So you can still do those transfer stages under your own power. You know, they're not downhill bikes, obviously. They are meant to be ridden uphill, so... They're, you know, longer on the downhill capabilities and kind of shorter on the climbing abilities. And then the other thing too is some people are using the term enduro to talk about trails, which. Oh, that really, that's, that really gets my go, Jeff. Uh, yeah, me too. I was going to say that. Or when they said they're going on an enduro ride, like, no, you're not. Yeah. Like you're not. Right. So enduro is kind of creeping into the lexicon, but. Uh, oh, it's creeped. Now, it's fully creeped. It's fully creeped. It's but, not. For now, we're, we're, the farthest we're going to go is to call bikes enduro. We're, we're not to the level yet where we're going to call a trail enduro or a ride enduro. No. I'll punch you in the throat. Yeah. Another, another way that people uh, refer to this category is also all mountain. That's a term that's been around for longer than the enduro term. And so some companies, some publications are lumping the two together. So they'll say enduro slash all mountain. But again, it's just a more, aggressive style of bike than say a trail bike. Right. Yeah. That's, it's just kind of a blurry term, especially now with bikes being as capable as they are. But generally when we're talking about this, we're talking about bikes that are 150 to 170 millimeters of travel, slack head tube angles, generally in the mid to low sixties, long wheelbases, low bottom brackets, long reaches, but also the component spec is going to play into this. So kind of what differentiates a trail bike from an enduro bike is going to be the parts on that bike. So it could be wider, stiffer wheels, burlier tires, you know, things like that. You could be running a coil shock instead of air suspension or a piggyback shock instead of just a standard air canister. 
forks with thicker stanchions. So instead of like a, you know, Fox 34, maybe you're running a Fox 36. So things like that. So that's kind of where it gets super blurry because you could essentially turn your trail bike, what, you know, most people would consider just a trail bike. You could turn it into an enduro bike just by swapping a few parts around. Yeah. And let's not forget about accessories. You know, you can get an enduro helmet. You oh can, yeah. You can get a fanny pack. Those oh. are popular mm-hmm. among enduro riders, but yeah. Goggles. Goggles. Exactly. So uh, now that we've defined sort of what enduro is and what types of bikes these generally are, let's go through real quick and talk about the 2016 list that we put together last year. This was a list that Greg and Aaron and I, um, and I think maybe some of our freelance contributors, put together of sort of the top 10 enduro bikes, the bikes we thought were some of the best of 2016. So what was on that list, Aaron? Yeah, just running down them real quick in no particular order. We didn't uh, rank them when we put them together, but uh, the Cannondale Jekyll Canyon Strive, the Giant Rain, the Ibis Mojo HD3, the Intense Tracer, the Pivot Mach 6, the Santa Cruz Nomad, the Specialized Enduro, the Yeti SB6, and the YT Capra. And one of the interesting things about this list is looking at them, I mean, probably six or seven of these bikes are changed since last year. So for instance, uh, the Jekyll received a major update since last year, since we made this list. The Rain, I think, saw some subtle tweaks. The Ibis Mojo HD3 is uh, no more. It's now the HD4. The Intense Tracer received a pretty major overhaul. The Pivot Mach 6, this one was just recent, just a couple weeks ago, uh, I guess maybe a month ago or so. That's all new. The Nomad is all new. The and the Specialized Enduro has some slight tweaks, so a good portion of these bikes are are n- new and improved, or at least changed from last year. Yeah, definitely. So there's also a good bit of overlap between the list of bikes that we chose uh, and the ones that Single Tracks readers chose. So we did a survey back kind of earlier in the year, the spring ish, where we asked people about their favorite bikes and various components in different categories. Um, and we got about 2,100, 2,200 responses to that survey. And so we went through there and tried to see which uh, enduro bikes were the most popular among our readers. So take us through that list. That list is rank ordered, right, Aaron? Yes, it is. So we did it by the number of responses. And thank you all for taking the time to fill out the survey because it was quite extensive. So we appreciate that. So starting with number 10, we actually have a tie between the Comensal Meta AM 4.2, I know that's a mouthful, and the Ibis Mojo HD4. So those are tied for 10th. Then you have the Yeti SB 5.5, the Pivot Switchblade, the Trek Slash, the YT Capra, the Trek Remedy, the Yeti SB6, Santa Cruz Nomad, the Santa Cruz Bronson, and the Specialized Enduro coming in at number one. Yeah, I think the Enduro... You know, I mean, it's a great bike for sure. And there are a lot of uh, different variations on it. We'll talk a little more about it, but I feel like part of it is just the name recognition. You know, somebody <laughs> wants the best enduro bike and they say the enduro, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, Specialize has had the enduro for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years now. So it's not like uh, a new bike to the line. Um, it's not like they saw the baby blue trend coming. And, and jumped on the bandwagon. Um, they've had, they've had the Enduro. It's been their longest travel trail bike for, for years and years now. Right on. Okay. So looking at that list of the top 10 Enduro bikes, according to single tracks readers, 
Uh, were there any surprises to you? I wasn't surprised by any of these picks. You know, I I I think they chose a pretty good crop of bikes here. I would I'd be happy owning just about any of these. Yeah, so let's talk about some of the highlights. The Comensal Meta, or you said Meta, Meta, Meta. I think Meta, Meta. Meta. Yeah. Okay. One of the two. It's M E T A. Yeah. Well, I'm a I'm a computer geek, so I'm going to say Meta. But that's the AM 4.2. Uh, that was the most affordable bike on the list, right? Yeah, not surprised by this choice necessarily, but I was glad to see it on here. They just recently, I guess last year, they came to the U.S. Um, their direct sales model. So um, you know, you order directly from Comensal online, and you know they're not available in bike shops. Um, they've they've been around for years in Europe, but they just recently came to the U.S. So it's it's pretty cool to see them creep into this list already after a year. So. Yeah, the, the Meta starts at two grand for a pretty well-equipped bike. I think basically the only thing you would want to add to it right away is a dropper post, and then it tops out at forty-three hundred for their World Cup edition build, which has just excellent components all around. And interestingly, when I was looking at their website, you know, to check out the prices for this, the World Cup build for twenty eighteen is two hundred dollars less. Than the 2017 model of the same bike with basically an identical build, so that's good news for all us mountain bikers. Yeah, is that is that an aluminum frame or carbon? It's aluminum. They only do aluminum bikes. I think they have kind of like a company stance against carbon, and you know it's not the cleanest thing to manufacture. So I think there's some. Uh, maybe environmental and ethical reasons that they state for um, choosing to go with aluminum only. I think maybe the only one, the one thing I would say, I wish uh, I would, I would like to see some more 29ers from Comensal. I think they have maybe one 29er hardtail, but um, I think they could make a cool. They did a downhill bike this year actually for their World Cup riders, but I think it'd be cool to see a, a 29 inch version of the Meta from them. Yeah, so speaking of 29ers, another thing that caught my eye is that only three and a half of the bikes on the list are running 29-inch wheels, which, I mean, maybe it's not a surprise, but we are seeing long-travel 29ers uh, becoming more popular, uh, even, you know, extending as far as downhill bikes or, you know, potentially creeping into that arena. So, yeah, talk a little bit about that. Is that is that unusual to you? No, I think, I think we'll just continue to see more as well. So the three and a half, you said half because the specialized Enduro is actually available in 27.5 or 29 inch wheels. But the others being the Trek Slash, the Yeti SB 5.5 and the Pivot Switchblade. So I'm not really surprised to see 29ers on this list. I think wheel size more than anything is about preference now and you can make an awesome bike with any size wheels, frankly. So I think we'll see even more um, 29ers next year. Yeah, one other thing that I noticed from the list is that, you know, Trek had two bikes on the list. They had the Slash and the Remedy, and the Slash has 29er wheels, the Remedy's 27.5. Uh, but other than that, if you look at sort of the, the top-level stats on the bikes, they're actually pretty similar. Uh, they both have about 150 millimeters of travel front and rear, they both use the Trex Mino Link suspension chip uh, where you can, you know, adjust the geometry. I mean, the big difference would be the Remedy has a full floater suspension design, but yeah, otherwise they're they're pretty similar bikes, right? 
Yeah, I think they are similar in a lot of ways in terms of travel and geometry, but I think the the wheel size really does come into play there and adds that extra bit of plowability and stability that you get with the uh, with the larger wheels, and that kind of pushes the slash more into the like true enduro category as opposed to the remedy, which is maybe more of an all around trail bike. Yeah, and Trek recently kind of simplified those models as well. They made the Slash just 29er and the Remedy just 27.5. They kind of flip-flopped on those bikes over the years, experimenting with different wheel sizes, but it looks like they've sort of got the identities of these bikes wrapped up now, Um, so it should be a little easier for consumers going forward. A couple other responses that we got, you know, we looked at all the responses to this survey, and we had to throw out a, a couple of them because we didn't feel like they were true enduro bikes. Uh, a couple that come to mind are the Trek Fuel EX and the Stump Jumper. Neither of those companies, Trek or Specialized, classify those bikes as enduro. They both call them trail bikes, and understandably so. They both have 130, 135 millimeters of rear travel, though that's not the only thing that determines whether a bike is enduro or not. But what do you think about about those bikes, Aaron? Would you say they're enduro, or are they kind of on the on the line? Yeah, I, well, see, this is this is part of the reason I find the enduro moniker annoying because the twenty seven five stump jumper actually has one hundred and fifty millimeters of suspension front and rear, which is the same as the Bronson, which is on the list. And the Pivot Switchblade has 135 rear and 150 front. It can also be run with a 160 fork, which is the same as the 29 Stump Jumper. But if you look at Pivot's website, they actually do classify the Switchblade as an enduro bike. So Specialized doesn't. Um, so it's just, it's just, like I said, it's an ambiguous, amorphous term it means whatever people want it to mean yeah i could probably i could see a case for the stump jumper being included on this list but i would i'd agree that the fuel is firmly in trail bike category it's like i said it's just tough with all the bikes all mountain bikes being more capable today even an xc bike you throw some knobbier tires on it in a dropper post and boom you have a trail bike so yeah and it also depends on where you're racing enduro right i mean if you're racing the enduro world series you probably do want 160, 160, 170 millimeters of travel. But if you're doing an enduro in Ohio, that's it's, you're probably not going to win on that much travel. <laughs> yep. And you're not joking, too. They do have enduros in Ohio. Pretty much every state has an enduro series. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very broad term. Okay, so let's talk more in depth about the top five bikes from this year's list um, I had a chance to demo a number of these bikes, and Aaron, I know you've ridden uh, at least one or two of them on the list, so let's talk about our own experiences. So starting with the Trek Remedy, which was number five on our readers' list of their favorite enduro bikes, you rode the Remedy just last year, right? What did what'd you think about it? Yeah, I got to ride it at the Fall Cyclofest last year in Charlotte right after um, they updated it. And as you mentioned, they did a pretty big overhaul on it. You know, they changed, they, you know, it went from being a 27.5 or 29 just to 27.5. They added a little more travel. They made it lower. They made it longer. They made it slacker. All those things we've come to expect. But I, I just like it. It's just a really good, 
solid all around bike. It's not, it's not too long. It's not too slack and never felt unwieldy. Um, the, the trails there at the Whitewater Center in Charlotte are pretty tight and twisty. Um, but I never felt like I was riding too much bike. And I, and I like the, I like the fact that Trek has an active suspension platform. I, I actually, I like most of Trek's bikes that, uh, well, all of the bikes I've ridden, their fuel's a, a great trail bike. And I know some people kind of knock the treks for having overly active suspension, but I I don't understand if you're going to have a full suspension, why you'd want it to be hyper efficient. Just, just ride a hardtail. But hopefully most people who are considering an enduro bike like their suspension to work. One of the things that Trek did on this bike, and they did it on the Slash, I think maybe the Fuel as well, this is a totally ground up um, redesign on these bikes. It wasn't just a few minor details and a new paint job. They they it's an all new frame, and they're using what Trek is calling a straight shot down tube, which doesn't have uh, the curve right behind the head tube that you generally see on bikes. And Trek says this improves frame stiffness, which I'll take them at their word. Um, but it also meant they had to add a special headset and a down tube protector to prevent your fork, the crown of your fork, from slamming into your down tube if you were to crash or something like that. So, I mean, it doesn't affect, you don't notice it while you're riding, obviously, um, unless you are wanting to do bar spins and then you're kind of screwed. But I, I just, I don't know if the uh, proprietary parts are, are worth the trade-off in that instance. Yeah, Trek bikes now with knock block technology. Yeah, that's right. That's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's. It's interesting because they do they do tout it as like a technology or you know some big thing, but it's really just to fix a problem that's that they created that they created. Yeah. So yeah, that's I mean that's where we are though with bikes. You know, I mean these designs have been honed over decades now, and you know every time you try to change one little thing, you're gonna impact something else. You know, so that's that's just part of the game. All right, number four, the Yeti SB6. Uh, this bike hasn't been updated super recently, um, and I don't think neither of us have ridden that one. Have Have you tried it? Uh, I have not. I've not ridden the SB6. So, um, but yeah, I don't. I don't think there have been any updates since it was released. Yeti's now offering two levels of carbon frames. So they have the regular carbon, and then their Turk. I guess their turquoise series carbon, um, which is you know the best of the best and lighter and all that good stuff. So there's couple different price points on the carbon frames now they're they, you know they don't do any aluminum anymore but i think the the frame is unchanged for this year yeah one of the things that sets this bike apart is its unique switch infinity suspension setup it, it definitely looks a lot different from bikes that are out there uh, how does that work exactly what is switch infinity Oh boy. Uh, I'm not really going to try to describe it, but it's a dual link, uh, design. It's similar to a VPP, which it's on, uh, which is on a Santa Cruz and on Intense. But the lower link moves vertically on what Yeti calls a translating pivot. So right above the bottom bracket where the lower pivot is, there's these two little mini fox stanchions that have this uh, something that connects them to one another and there's a bearing in the middle of it and then an axle goes through that and connects to the rear triangle and then the rear triangle slides up and down on that but basically what it does is it gives uh, the yeti's incredible pedal efficiency when you're when you're on the gas so 
that's kind of their their claim to fame. That's uh, you know they wanted to do something different with their suspension platform, and and that's what they came up with. But again, it tries to do what you know all suspension platforms try to do, which is balance pedaling efficiency with descending capability. Exactly. Okay, number three, we had the Santa Cruz Nomad, um, and that's kind of a perennial favorite. That was on our 2016 list too, wasn't it? It or, was, yeah. yeah. So this is a, a big bad bike, the Bromad, as you like to call it. You uh, And Santa Cruz just updated it um, this year, so it's uh, one of those ones from our list from last year, which is is different in a lot of ways. So you actually got to ride this one recently, right? I did, yeah. I rode it uh, just a couple of weeks ago now, um, and hopefully my review, if we time this just right, my review will come out tomorrow, so Tuesday. But anyway, the the Nomad, it's a big bike, like you said. It's 170 millimeters of travel front and rear, um, and it uses the same suspension design, actually, as Santa Cruz's V10, which is their downhill bike. And I believe that's that was part of the update, right? This this most recent time where they uh, switched suspension platforms. And uh, from what I can tell, it it works, man. Like it's it's really really good. I took out five enduro bikes within a twenty four hour period. I guess six if we count the stump jumper. You said you said you might throw it in that category, so maybe I did six in twenty four hours. But um, the Nomad was the one that I liked the best. It was my favorite. Out of all six that I tested, and I tested some really good bikes. I didn't test a single bad enduro bike over that time period. But the Nomad, I, I ended up taking that one on an extended test ride because I liked it so much. Um, it, you know, obviously it descends really well. It's really supple uh, suspension platform. I mean, it, it soaks up every single thing on the trail. Uh, it's got like a long reach and short chain stays. Uh, which is a really good combo because with the, the long reach, it's, it's really stable when you're going fast and going downhill. Um, but the short chain stays keep it pretty nimble and make it corner well. And, you know, it's just a, it's a really easy bike to ride. And then, of course, you know, with 170 millimeters of travel and that geometry, obviously it's going to descend well, but I was surprised at how well it climbs. You know, I was expecting to have a really hard time and just, you know, feel worn out and like I was, you know, struggling and like working against the bike on the climbs, but it climbed really well. It wasn't the front wheel wasn't wandery at all, uh, which was a surprise to me given that I, I found the tall boy actually, which is a 29er, you know, trail bike to didn't even climb as well as the nomad did. And I don't know if that's maybe I was just having a really good day, but cause it doesn't seem possible, but it, it really was good. And the other thing I, I thought when I was riding is that the bike almost didn't need brakes, at least for where I was riding it. You know, th- there aren't a lot of s- long descents uh, at the Whitewater Center where I was testing it. Uh, but, you know, the bike with the tires and with the suspension and the handling and everything, you know, you could just let gravity do the work and just it handled every corner, every jump, every, you know, little bit of technical trail that it, you could throw at it. It really... It really just just does the work for you, and I know that's a cliche, and I, maybe I've said it before about other bikes, but this time I really mean it. <laughs> so I was I was kind of surprised you liked this bike as much as you did. I mean, Jeff likes to climb, likes to go fast, 
up. So um, uh, yeah, it was it was kind of surprised. So did you like it just for the category, or did you like it in general? I think I liked it in general. I mean, I would need to write it more because this was only, you know, I spent maybe an hour and a half, two hours on the bike. Um, so maybe, you know, I'd get tired of it after a longer ride or, you know, I rode it multiple days back to back. But yeah, what was, it surprised me as well because the trails that I was riding on, they aren't, this isn't like big mountain riding or anything where you would think you would need an enduro bike. These were just, you know, sort of rolling trails, uh, some steep ups and downs, but all very short, um, nothing super technical. But, you know, at the end, I didn't feel like I was pushing around too much bike for the trails. It was similar to what I would ride on a regular basis, you know, during the week or whatever. Um, but yeah, I just found the Nomad. It felt great. And, you know, I felt like if I, if I wanted that extra suspension, that it was there for me. But otherwise, when I didn't need it, you know, it wasn't like getting in the way. So next up on our list is another Santa Cruz. So Santa Cruz took second and third place on our survey. Uh, and in second place, they had the Bronson. And the this one is a little surprising, maybe. As Aaron said, it's only got 150 millimeters of travel front and rear. And Santa Cruz doesn't, they don't actually classify it as an enduro bike, on their website, they, I think they call it a trail bike, but they also don't call the Nomad an enduro bike either. So maybe they don't, they're like Aaron. They don't, they don't really like that term. Aaron, you mentioned just mountain bikes, man. Yeah. They're just Santa Cruz mountain bikes. Aaron, you mentioned that, um, some of Santa Cruz's pro riders are using the Bronson for enduro racing, right? Yeah. A lot of them are actually, I think, with the introduction of the high tower, some were opting for that in certain races. But in general, the vast majority of Santa Cruz's pro riders are racing on the Bronson. They maybe will, you know, spec a 160 fork on it instead or something like that. And again, um, maybe alter the component choices, but I, it will be interesting to see maybe with this latest, I guess, what are we in the fourth generation of the Nomad? Um, whatever this most current generation is, if, uh, more of their pros will end up choosing that bike over the Bronson. But, you know, you have to think, I mean, these big, you know, EWS races and, you know, the big mountain enduro series here in the U S and some of these, you know, these enduros are all day long. I mean, you're going to be riding, you know, maybe 30 or more miles of really intense terrain. And you've got to, you got to keep that in mind because while, the transfers aren't timed, as I said. You still, you still got to get your butt up the hill. So, you know, do you really want? Do you want to be riding a thirty-two pound bike, or do you want to be riding a twenty-eight, twenty-nine pound bike? That's going to be a little bit more efficient. So, those are all the, the kind of considerations you have to make in racing. Yeah, and Greg tested the Bronson uh, when it first came out, or when it was first updated uh, about a year, two years ago. Um, and if you remember that, if you read the reviews, you'll, you'll remember that Greg wasn't too stoked about the bike. He did sort of a brief test ride similar to what I did a couple of weeks ago at the Whitewater Center. Um, and he basically, he, he found a lot to be desired with the bike. And so much so that Santa Cruz asked him to come out to their headquarters and, you know, give him another shot. And he rode the bike and I think he still was a little meh on it. So, yeah, he was firmly unstoked on the Bronson. Yeah, 
for some reason. Yeah. Well, and he's not here to tell us why or fill us in on that. Um, you can certainly read the articles about it, the reviews that he wrote. But so I, when I went into my test ride, I was definitely skeptical about it. Um, I didn't, didn't think it was going to be great, uh, but I wanted to confirm for myself, especially since our readers picked it as the second best enduro bike overall this year. But like the Nomad, I, I had a great time on it. I thought it performed really well. Aaron, you've ridden the newish Bronson too, haven't you? What did you think about it? Yeah, I think in your um, in your article that'll be coming out to kind of accompany this, you you mentioned that part of the reason you were skeptical of the Bronson was just all the hype it had received and it being like a movie that everyone hypes up and then you go and see the movie and it can, can't ever live up to the hype. Um, that was the hangover for me. Everyone told me like, Oh my God, this is the funniest movie. You didn't like the hangover. I didn't not like it. It just wasn't like, it wasn't the funniest movie no. you'd ever seen. Yeah. I thought yeah. I was going to go like insane from laughing so hard. <laughs> How everybody was making it sound. I was just like, oh, it's just a dumb comedy. So I, I've ridden the older, I think the first generation Bronson. So it's been years since I've been on one. And I was up in Squamish on vacation um, last month and I got out for a couple full uh, day rides. So probably a good, I don't know, 60 or 70 miles total over two days uh, in Squamish on the Bronson. And I gotta say, I was really impressed with the bike like you you know i just found it did everything well it's just a really good all-around trail bike you know and it never felt like too much bike i like just about everything about it i was on the carbon frame with kind of their i guess lower end build which is kind of crazy to say um but it had the gx eagle drivetrain on it and um nice fox suspension but it was the uh, it was like Fox, I think, just the performance level suspension, so it doesn't have some of the adjustability that the higher end build kits do. But yeah, I, I thought it was a great bike. Um, did plenty of climbing on it. I think that's maybe the one area where I felt like on smooth trails because um, there's dedicated climbing trails in Squamish. On just the smooth rolling climbs, I felt like there was noticeably more pedal bob than some other bikes that I've ridden. So I was using the platform switch on the rear shock more often than I, I would on, on my own personal bikes, for instance. Another, I kind of compared really well to another bike I spent a lot of time on this year, which is the Rocky Mountain Altitude. And honestly, the Bronson and the Altitude are probably my two favorite bikes that I've ridden this year. I'd probably give the slight edge to the Altitude just because I feel like it climbed better, but on the downs, they're neck and neck, so I don't think you'd go wrong with either one. Ooh, interesting. So the Altitude, that that would be a trail bike though, right? I think... I think they're all Rocky, trail bikes. They're you. all trail bikes. <laughs> See? I mean, this is where you get... I Does mean, it matter? But the, but the the Altitude actually is 150 rear and 160 front, so it has 10 oh, wow. millimeters more suspension in the front than the Bronson does. I don't, I don't I don't think Rocky uses the enduro term either. I think they call it an aggressive trail bike. So so yeah, that's another a good one term. To, yeah, it's a good one to add to the list though. The Altitude is one that definitely didn't make either of our lists, uh, but maybe it should. Okay, so number one on our list, our, our readers list, we should say, is the specialized enduro. As I think I alluded to earlier, the enduro 
is offered in 27.5 or 29er configurations and or six fatty or six fatty. There's which like, is 27 plus is just yeah. specialized term for it. Yes, it's not a fat bike. It's a plus bike called a fatty. But yeah, they have a ton of different configurations you can get on this bike, uh, which probably helps its popularity uh, because there are enduros that fit sort of whatever size and shape rider you are, or even you know types of trails that you like to ride. I haven't ridden the enduro, I don't know, ever, maybe. Um, but what about you, Aaron? Have you ridden the bike? What do you know about it? I've ridden the 27.5 version uh, a while back, but I've never ridden the 29 version, and that's the one I'd really like to ride, so I should probably make that happen. Yeah, I totally agree. It's um, With a name like Enduro, is it really any surprise? Is it at the top of the list? No. And like you said, it's just widely available. There's tons of specialized dealerships all over the place. There's a broad range of price points. They have aluminum models as well. So I think they start around three grand for a bike, which is a lot of money, but it's, uh, I think that's attainable for a broad range of riders. They did make some tweaks to the frame. Uh, I know at least the carbon frame for 2018, uh, which I saw at, uh, Crankworks this year, namely they increased the reach, which they really needed to do in my opinion. Anyway, uh, they've, Always been on the slack and low tip, but not necessarily the long. And uh, I've always felt a little cramped on there. I typically ride a size large in pretty much every brand, but I've always felt cramped. I've ridden plenty of stump jumpers that were size large, and they just feel just felt too short. Um, I've, I think part of that is just I've been riding longer bikes for a few years now, and so that's just what I prefer. That's what I'm more used to. There are certain things to be said for having a shorter top tube. It makes it a little more nimble and snappier, but I like the uh, the stability and the extra room to to move around. Yeah. Well, so that's the that's the top five enduro bikes according enduro. to single tracks readers. We also had another list that we shared a few weeks or months ago that were the most innovative mountain bikes according to our readers which this is a separate category, obviously. Um, but of the top five most innovative bikes, three of those were enduro bikes. Um, one of them was the Nomad. And then the other two, the Intense Tracer and the Marin Wolf Ridge, are bikes that I also got to ride recently. So I, I thought I'd talk about those bikes and maybe what makes them so innovative. Um, the Intense Tracer, like we said earlier, was updated this year with... Uh, it previously had a flip chip on it, so you could adjust the geometry. Um, in the latest version, they ditched the flip chip and are sticking with 165 millimeters of rear travel, which makes it, at least travel-wise, one of the more aggressive bikes in the enduro category. So I tested it at the Whitewater Center, and I, I enjoyed it. I really was a good bike. It was fun to ride. To me, surprisingly, the suspension felt a little stiff on the bike, uh, especially through bumpy sections. And this could have been just the way that the suspension was set up. You know, I did the the basics for this quick ride, right? Like I did the set the sag and checked all that stuff out. But, you know, there's certainly a lot of tuning that is involved in a suspension setup. So that might not be everyone's experience with the bike. But I did find it to be a little bit stiff. But otherwise, the I did find that the travel worked really well for bigger hits. Definitely wasn't anything that was 
you know, limiting sort of what I can do. The limit for me is my ability. It's not the bike for sure. So the, the bike also climbs really well. I think that was more of a strength too. So, you know, if there's a scale of you got climbing on one side and descending on the other, I would say that the, the tracer has more of the leg up on the climbing side than the descending side, at least in terms of how it compares to other enduro bikes. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting about this bike was the build kit. So they had all E13 wheels sets on the bike. So it had uh, E13 wheels, which have their hubs and their uh, TRS plus rims. And then they also even have E13 tires on the bike. And I found that the, the hubs were, they were super loud on this bike, like yeah, like too loud. Maddeningly loud. Yeah. <laughs> like, like somebody turned that thing off. And then the rims, the rims are, were nice. They're 28 millimeters wide, uh, which is, I think on the widish side for, uh, enduro tires, at least that are not plus tires. And with those, with those E13 TRS tires, it really gave them a nice profile. These, these tires were beefy. Like they almost look like, Maxis uh, minions or something like that, that they had really good, really good knobs. They were real grippy. Uh, definitely was a nice touch on that bike. So moving on to our most innovative bike of the year, that was the Marin Wolf Ridge. And Aaron, you've seen it a couple times at different trade shows, right? And talked to some of the folks at Marin. We need to tell us about that bike. Yeah. So they, Kind of the whole thinking behind this bike is that it defies categories and the, you know, they claim that the suspension, the best of both worlds, not a compromise. So you get the pedaling efficiency of a cross country bike, but you have the descending capability of an enduro bike. I've not ridden the bike personally, so I can't attest to whether that's true or not, but that's the claim. And as we said, that's kind of everybody's claim, but they are using a unique suspension platform. It's called the React to Play suspension platform uh, from a company called Nailed. And uh, the guy that runs that company has been involved in the industry for years. Uh, Daryl Voss, really smart guy, knows what he's doing. So, yeah, it's it's been pretty well received from what I've read about it. But it's it's really it's probably just better to go on to single tracks and look this bike up so you can kind of get an idea of what's going on, but it's looks unlike any other bike out there. Really. It kind of looks like something from the future. Um, it's got a, it's got a swing arm, so it doesn't have a triangle because there's no triangle. It's just one giant piece. So it kind of looks like a motorcycle swing arm and a couple links that connect it to the shock. But what you, what's hard to see from the side profile is this giant, sliding stanchion tube that connects around the bottom bracket to the rear triangle and the stanchion tube slides in and out of the rear triangle. So kind of weird, uh, hard to explain verbally. It's definitely something you need to see with your eyes and it maybe will make more sense. I thought you painted a pretty good word picture there. Oh. I can definitely, I can definitely see it. Thanks Jeff. You're welcome. All right. So I got a chance to ride one of these bad boys at the Whitewater Center as a part of CycloFest a few weeks back. And, you know, the, the rep that I spoke to there really talked up how well this bike climbs for an enduro bike. 
which I was I was anxious to try out because, like Aaron said, I I do enjoy climbing. Not a, not afraid to climb some trails, and I actually kind of like it. If you look at the geometry numbers, they don't necessarily paint this as a bike that can climb really well. It's got a really slack seat tube angle, uh, which isn't necessarily what you want for climbing, at least in terms of comfort and positioning. And it's also got a low bottom bracket. It's got a lot of things that are set up to make it sort of better at descending, perhaps. The bike also has a relatively short reach and long chain stays, uh, which again isn't exactly on trend. You know, bikes are getting longer reaches and shorter chain stays, not the other way around. But I did find that the Wolf Ridge climbs really well as far as the suspension is concerned. You know, I'd probably need more time on it to really know if that C2 bangle was annoying or not. But for my short test ride, it was, it was just fine. The suspension, I didn't find it to be super plush, you know, sort of like the intense that I rode, you know, especially through like the small bumps, but it did do its job on the bigger hits. So you could definitely tell that there was, you know, full 160 millimeters of travel to get through on the bike. Overall though, I would just have to say that the bike didn't, it didn't blow me away, you know, for all the hype again for this new design and, you know, some of the problems that it's seeking to address, you know, it wasn't like I got on the bike and rode it around and instantly was like, oh, this is way better than anything else that's out there. But at the same time, you know, I couldn't find anything wrong with it, which I think hopefully that's taken as a compliment because we see this all the time. We see these, you know, innovative, unusual, unique suspension designs come onto the market and, a lot of times they just don't take off, you know? I mean, Aaron and I were talking about the Magic Link from Kona a few years ago on one of their bikes and how, you know, this this was it was revolutionary, it was different, but it just never caught on and perhaps for performance reasons or whatever. But I do think that this suspension design, it does have legs. It, there is a chance that it could work pretty well, especially as they refine it and tune it and, you know, get the geometry of the overall bike nailed down a little bit better. It didn't suck and it also didn't blow me away. So it's, it's a good solid enduro bike. That's probably where I would leave it. All right. What about others? Are there other enduro bikes that you think are interesting out there on the market these days, Aaron? One we kind of brought up already is the Santa Cruz Hightower LT. So the Hightower has been around for, I don't know, maybe a couple of years now. Uh, the LT is the long travel version of that. So it gets 150 mil of travel front and rear. And I, it came out recently, so it was, wasn't in time for the, the survey, but I'm betting it will likely be on next year's list just because of the popularity of Santa Cruz's bikes and the fact that, uh, you know, it's, the 29er, um, things are kind of going, uh, 29s are hot again. They kind of maybe cooled off a little bit, but people seem to be jazzed about them again. Um, I've ridden the regular, uh, Hightower and that was, it was a really fun bike. I mean, it just plowed over everything just like you want a long travel 29er to do. So I, I can't really imagine being able to plow even harder. So I, I, I want to get on the, the LT. And there's other, the the Norco, I think it's the Norco Range is their enduro bike. I believe they're making that one in 29 as well now. I don't, they may be offering it in 27.5 as well because Norco is one of the one of the handful of companies that does offer 
27.5 and 29-inch versions of pretty much most of their bikes. Yeah, we did a back-to-back test of what bike was that? That was the Optic. The Optic. Yeah, it yeah. was their, like short travel trail bike. It was yeah. a cool bike. Yeah, we did did that. One of us was on the 27.5 and the other was on the 29er, and then we switched mid-ride. And, yeah, that was a pretty, pretty interesting experience. Yeah, so, you know, there's there's tons of companies out there. Yeah, maybe we'll see Canyon on the list next year. They, uh, they're another consumer direct brand, but they're just a month or two ago became available for sale in the U.S. So, you know, we saw YT, um, on the list this year and, you know, they're consumer direct brand. So we saw Coman Saul on there. So maybe, you know, maybe that's really catching on in the U.S. Uh, part of just the larger story of, of the current bike market here. So yeah, I think. There's just so many good bikes out there right now, and as we've said several times, there's so many bikes that blur categories that, in a lot of ways, the categories are fairly meaningless. Yeah, exactly. The only category that matters is you. It's how you ride and uh, what what you like to do on the bike, what you value, if it's climbing or descending or what that mix is for you. Wheelies. That's what I value. Yeah, what's what's the best bike for wheelies? You, you do a lot of wheelies. <laughs> My, my, my Zen hardtail is still the bike I can wheelie the best. I don't know what it is about it. <laughs> Something about the, the geometry on that thing and just wheelie it all day. But yeah, I try, I try on every bike. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good endorsement for the Zen. I know a lot of people are always trying to get better at wheelies. Okay. Well, I think we've exhausted our discussion about the enduro bike category. I know I'm exhausted. Yes. It, enduro takes a lot out of you. Uh, <laughs> it does. But, but we have, we've made it to the end here. Uh, remember. Final stage. Yeah. As always, you know, if you're enjoying the single tracks podcast, we'd love to get your support. A lot of you have rated us in the iTunes store and that has helped us out a ton. We've got a lot of listeners that keep joining us every single week for fresh new content. Uh, but if you're looking for other ways to support single tracks, you know, consider buying a hat or a t-shirt on our website or maybe even buying a membership. You can, for $25 a year, you can get unlimited access to mountain bike trail maps. And even if you don't need the maps, you know, you got another map source, that's fine. We'll still take your money and, you know, that's, that's your way of showing your support. We would really appreciate it. And then finally, too, if you don't already have an account on singletracks.com, go ahead and sign up for one. It's completely free. And when you're doing that, you can sign up for our email newsletter where we shoot you out the most popular articles from the previous week. And we also have a thing we call our product picks email. And that's where every week we go through and find uh, some of the products that are available for sale online. And we show them to you, the ones that we think are really good or they offer a good value. But especially this holiday season, we're going to be theming those emails a little bit. So we're going to be giving you our picks for different categories like helmets and GPSs and helmet cameras and bikes and things. So sign up for that if you want to get our recommendations for products in various categories. Uh, We put a lot of thought into that. So definitely want to make sure that a lot of people get to take advantage of it. So that's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace.